0: Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question-and-answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. And as a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care.
1: Please go ahead. Well, thank you, Mary, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program, and today's program is Survivorship Care for Childhood Lymphoma Survivors, and this is part two of our two-part series, A Guide for Coping with Childhood Lymphoma. This is an important program, and it's a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and the Lymphoma Research Foundation, and I have to say that we have been working with the Lymphoma Research Foundation on a number of different programs, this entire series, indeed, and a number of different programs um, throughout the year, and plan to do that continuously, and uh, this is really a first that we have offered this particular series. And. Your response has been really terrific. Now, the program today is a collaborative effort between um, the Lymphoma Research Foundation, Cancer Care, and many other cancer organizations. And it really is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. We have on the call today over 433 participants. So there's a lot of you on the call. And you come from all over the United States. You come from large cities and small cities, and from rural and frontier communities and suburban areas. And we also have international participants from Australia, Canada, China, Georgia, Korea, the Philippines, Switzerland, Venezuela, and the United Arab Emirates, and the United United Kingdom. So we really have people from all over the world on this call. It's really a credit to you as a group of information seekers that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us. Now, today's program is supported through the Lymphoma Research Foundation's cooperative agreement with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And I really want to thank the Lymphoma Research Foundation for their support of this program today. Now, I want to turn your attention for a moment to all the materials that you received um, from Cancer Care. And those materials is an outline our speakers have prepared. There also is information about all the different collaborating organizations as a resource with their 800 numbers and their um, websites. And there also is an evaluation form, and I would ask you each to take a moment and complete that evaluation form. When you think about it, who but each of you can best tell us the uh, programs and what you would like us to offer going forward? And and this is sort of somewhat the beginning of of a new year, and we want to be sure that we capture the programs that you would like us to offer, the topics that you think are important. Indeed, this topic is one that many of you have requested, and so we've been finally able to offer it. So... Um, Do tell us what you'd like us to do, and we're going to try very hard to implement your recommendations. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to start by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Brandon hayes lattin He's Associate Professor of Medicine, Division of Hematology and Medical Oncology. He's Medical Director, Adolescent and Young Adult Oncology Program, Knight Cancer Institute at OHSU. And he's going to address unique follow-up care needs based on types of chemotherapy, radiation, and transplantation. And he's also going to address who should be following childhood lymphoma survivors. It's my pleasure to turn the program over to Dr. Hayes-Latin.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. And again, thanks to Cancer Care and the Lymphoma Research Foundation for addressing this really important topic. Um, As Carolyn explained, I'd like to uh, focus my comments on three areas. One is the importance of uh, cancer survivors having accurate information about their diagnosis and treatment in a summary, uh, because as we'll discuss, the details of a cancer diagnosis and its treatment uh, can directly affect uh, the types of follow-up care that uh, childhood lymphoma cancer survivors um, should have. Uh, second, I'm going to talk a little bit about the unique follow-up care that uh, uh, can be associated with uh, uh, being a survivor of lymphoma. And then third, I'm going to explore some of the models for how should we best be following childhood lymphoma survivors. Uh, but first, uh, let me just uh, reassure everybody on the call how important an issue this is and actually how common uh, this is in the medical practice. Uh, In the United States, there are approximately 270,000 adult survivors of childhood cancer, uh, and lymphoma is a common childhood cancer. Um, So the issues that we're uh, focusing on and addressing today um, are common, and childhood lymphoma survivors should not feel alone. Uh, To begin with, uh, as we learn more and more about cancer survivors, Uh, we see that there is a a real feedback loop between survivors sharing their survivorship story, whether that be uh, psychosocial effects of cancer or medical effects of cancer, and how that sharing of a story can then lead to changes in therapy. And there's sort of a feedback loop that each time we change therapy, then we have to observe uh, the effects. Um, And we try to do this systematically through research. Um, In fact, there is a very large uh, cohort study called the Childhood Cancer Survivorship Study that's followed about 14,000 adult survivors of childhood cancer, uh, as well as about 3,000 of their brothers and sisters, their siblings, uh, to try to inform uh, what we know about cancer survivors. And one of the core principles of that is, the type of cancer and the type of treatment a patient received um, can have a direct effect on uh, their survivorship. So, for instance, uh, a patient treated for lymphoma who receives radiation therapy may have a very unique set of survivorship issues, uh, medical issues that require follow-up, uh, and it's important that both the, the patient and their providers know that they received radiation therapy. The same is true for chemotherapy or high-dose therapy with bone marrow transplant. When we talk about follow-up care for lymphoma survivors, uh, there's really two major categories of follow-up care. One is routine care for medical conditions, common late effects of cancer, or even just uh, a special attention to the types of routine medical care that all uh, children and adults should have. So, if you think about routine dental care, routine eye care, routine uh, medical care that includes uh, attention to reproductive health, or uh, immunizations and vaccines, or uh, screening for uh, mental health, these are common. For, uh, these are important for all of us, uh, but can have special importance for cancer survivors. Uh, specific to lymphoma survivors. Um, uh, particularly lymphoma survivors who received chemotherapy and or radiation therapy, uh, there are some unique medical conditions, uh, such as uh, within eye health um, an increased uh, risk for cataracts, uh, within dental health an increased risk for both cavities and gum disease, uh, within um, general medical health there can be an increased risk for uh, vascular or cardiac uh, problems. Um, again, these are problems common in the United States, like coronary artery disease or other atherosclerotic disease, uh, but sometimes chemotherapy or radiation for lymphoma can increase that risk. Uh, there can be a specific risks to lungs. Um, uh, and, and, and for lymphoma survivors, uh, patients who receive certain types of chemotherapy Uh, or radiation therapy to the lungs might have an increased risk. Uh, Again, uh, changes to uh, all endocrine organs um, and commonly affected endocrine organs from chemotherapy or radiation can include the thyroid gland, uh, uh, the glands that produce growth hormone, uh, or the reproductive organs. Uh, Lastly, uh, in addition to Uh, sort of a heightened sense of awareness of what would otherwise be routine chronic medical conditions, Uh, cancer survivors also need to think about uh, routine cancer risk reduction. So just like in the general population, part of routine medical care includes uh, uh, attention to reduce cancer risk, this is particularly important for cancer survivors, including lymphoma survivors. Uh, It turns out that uh, cancer patients are at risk for a second diagnosis of cancer, uh, much like the general population may be at risk for a first diagnosis. And so the things that we counsel the general population may be especially important for uh, uh, survivors of childhood lymphoma. Those exposures include things like smoking. Uh, So we all know that smoking can have profound uh, chronic health effects, But as you can imagine, this may be increased in somebody who already has a predisposition to uh, uh, lung abnormalities based on uh, the chemotherapy or radiation they may have received. Uh, The same is true for skin health. So sun exposure and the risk for skin disease uh, can be heightened among cancer survivors. And so while this is important for all of us, it can be particularly important to uh, counsel uh, lymphoma survivors on the risks of excess uh, sun exposure and the use of sun safety practices. Finally, um, uh, risks for uh, infections um, are known to be common early uh, during uh, lymphoma therapy, uh, particularly patients who have low neutrophil counts from chemotherapy or radiation. But it's important to know that some lymphomas uh, and some lymphoma therapy can lead to Uh, long-term issues related to increased risk of infection, uh, particularly patients um, who've had uh, either their spleen removed or radiation to the area of the spleen. And so there are some uh, special attention to vaccinations uh, that uh, cancer survivors uh, should, uh, should heed. So overall, Follow-up care for uh, all adults uh, in the United States is important, but for childhood cancer survivors, there are these special needs, uh, and these needs tend to be specific to the diseases of lymphoma and the treatment modalities, whether that be chemotherapy, radiation therapy, or even high doses of those things used in bone marrow transplant. So if we know that patients um, uh, really require uh, special attention and, uh, and there are unique aspects to their follow-up care, uh, the question has come up about, well, how would we best deliver this care? And this is an active question in the field of survivorship today. Uh, there are several models of how best to provide follow-up care for survivors of childhood lymphoma. Uh, and roughly speaking, they can be broken down into three big categories. So the first category would be a cancer center-based model or a a pediatric-based model uh, where this uh, kind of care, is usually a transition from within the pediatric oncology center where the patient actually received their diagnosis and treatment. Uh, And often this type of centralized survivorship care is separate from a patient's uh, established primary care provider, particularly as uh, a child grows into adulthood Uh, and may uh, move on out of the house, even out of their city, to go away to college uh, jobs, uh, and et cetera. There are some advantages to our cancer center-based model that include uh, sort of a built-in continuity of care if the cancer records um, of diagnosis and treatment that I said were so important are housed in the same cancer center that survivorship care is happening. And often cancer centers with pediatric expertise Uh, really have a focus in uh, the medical specialty of cancer survivorship. And finally, these cancer centers are often the places where research in survivorship is being done. But the disadvantages to a cancer center-based model include things like uh, geography, that again, uh, as children grow into young adults, uh, 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 they often are quite mobile, and uh, getting back to the cancer center where they originally received uh, treatment may be difficult. A second model is a community-based model, and in this case, uh, instead of returning back to the pediatric cancer center, survivorship care is transferred, uh, usually to a primary care physician, where these pertinent, relevant uh, clinical pieces about diagnosis and treatment are delivered uh, to a primary care physician along with some general recommendations. Again, this is geographically more convenient uh, and allows the survivor to feel more independent from uh, Uh, their uh, original cancer treatment unit, Um, but there is a potential for some discontinuity of care as it requires this uh, transition from the cancer center to a community base. And oftentimes in in the community, uh, uh, it's more difficult to provide a whole breadth of survivorship expertise and resources. And then finally, uh, many centers are trying a hybrid model uh, where – uh, there is direct interaction between the uh, cancer center base uh, and a primary care community base uh, with shared care across those resources. So overall, uh, it is important for childhood uh, lymphoma survivors to understand uh, the details of their disease and, more importantly, the details of their therapy um, so that they can understand the long-term follow-up needs and, and Uh, bring that to their providers in whichever model they go. Uh, There are a few special resources uh, that I'd like to make sure everyone is aware of. Uh, One is uh, a resource from the Children's Oncology Group. Uh, They have uh, published survivorship guidelines at a website. The website is survivorshipguidelines.org. It's all one word, survivorshipguidelines.org. And here you'll see Uh, a whole list of both chemotherapies and radiation exposures uh, that uh, will list their potential late effects, some of the risk factors that may increase those late effects, and some recommendations for what kind of periodic evaluation or health uh, counseling may be uh, considered. So a lymphoma survivor can look at a particular chemotherapy drug like cyclophosphamide or bleomyosin and uh, get some very specific information about the recommendations for follow-up. The other resource uh, to make you aware of uh, is a partnership with the Lance Armstrong Foundation and Oncolink called the Livestrong Care Plan. And this is available at the website LivestrongCarePlan.org. That's LivestrongCarePlan.org. And on this website, uh, a survivor can actually develop an individualized care plan by entering in their diagnosis and treatment, and you'll get many of the same recommendations from the Children's Oncology Group uh, in a report at the end of that plan. Uh, so with that, uh, I will uh, uh, end my comments and be available for questions. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Hayes It's an excellent presentation, just really setting the context for the program today. Very informative, just a lot of very helpful tips and information for um, our participants to be aware of. So I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. Our, Our next speaker is Dr. Barbara Jones. Dr. Jones is Associate Professor of Social Work. Co-director, the Institute of, for Grief, Loss, and Family Survival, School of Social Work, University of Texas at Austin, and Dr. Jones is going to address common concerns and issues and practical issues. And I'm going to turn the program over to Dr. Jones. Thank you so much,
3: Carolyn, and thank you, Dr. Hayes-Latten, for setting the stage so well for us to discuss some of the psychosocial concerns that can occur for children and families after. Uh, cancer diagnosis and survival. I also would like to thank Cancer Care and the Lymphoma Research Foundation for really supporting and highlighting this important topic, and I'm delighted that there's so many people on the call. It's exciting to um, have an opportunity to talk with you about some of the important issues that children and families do face after cancer. First of all, I think that Dr. Hayes-Latin really set the stage that um, there are many survivors And therefore, there's lots of reason to be optimistic and hopeful and happy about our advances in pediatric oncology care. What we also know is that survivors themselves report that the experience of having had cancer can impact them dramatically for some and less dramatically for others. And what I hope to talk about today are the psychosocial issues and concerns that are pretty common, for children after they've had a cancer diagnosis, and some of the practical issues that they and you all may face, and also how survivors make meaning out of this experience, because many of the young people that I speak to do report that having had a cancer diagnosis has both some challenges, but also some opportunities for growth. So many young survivors report that the experience of childhood cancer has a profound emotional impact on their lives. Sometimes the child or adolescent or young adult, depending on the time, will know immediately that they have been changed in some important way by this experience. For others, it may take time to understand the meaning of their unique experience as they try to move back into a quote-unquote normal uh, type of experience. Many survivors simply want to go on with their lives and be normal, but what is normal for a child or an adolescent who's never faced cancer might be very different than what is normal for a young cancer survivor. Returning to a pre-cancer normal is unlikely, so we can set up the expectation that things will be different. But young survivors really can learn to create this new sense of normalcy that incorporates their experience with childhood cancer. Childhood cancer is very unique because it occurs when children are developing both physically and emotionally. So the young cancer patient understands their experience in a way that's congruent with wherever they were developmentally when they received their diagnosis. So what it's like to understand and go through treatment when you're four may be very different than when you're 14. And that also means that as they become older, they view their experience from different developmental perspectives and integrate the memories in a new way. Each child or adolescent may reintegrate his or her experience at each new developmental stage, and that's really normal. So to have a child express their feelings and their concerns when they're four years old and then need to look at it a little differently when they're 10 and a little differently when they're 14, that's normal. It doesn't mean they didn't take care of those feelings the first time. It just means they're a whole different person developmentally. So with support and guidance, these memories and these experiences can really be incorporated into a positive sense of self and of survivorship. It's not uncommon for young adults to experience the psychological effects of their cancer long after they finish their treatment. Some of the life changes that young people may experience are incredibly positive and life-affirming, such as the ability to triumph over challenge and discover meaningful relationships. Some of the changes are more difficult to understand. Young survivors report a sense of feeling different from their peers, feeling isolated. Some report a sense of loneliness and loss about having missed out on some of the activities that their peers had a chance to participate in. Some report that they feel like they have different values than their peers, that they're maybe less concerned about some of the things that the people who are the same age as them are concerned about. They're less concerned about things like looks and status and stuff. They're more concerned about relationships. Survivors may need to actually grieve some of the losses they experienced, which can include everything from friendship changes, losses of physical ability, um, losing some opportunities to participate in quote-unquote normal activities. Um, And some children may experience symptoms of anxiety or sadness about their cancer experience. It's important for these children to know that these experiences are not unusual and that they can talk about them with a caring adult. Sometimes it's good for them to talk about with another person who is their same age, and so peer support can be very important. Sometimes counseling can help a young survivor make sense of their experiences and deal with their subsequent emotions. But for most, really having a couple of caring people in their life makes all the difference. Many young people indicate a sense of being positively transformed by the experience of facing childhood cancer. Some feel powerful, hopeful, determined, like they can face anything now. Self-esteem can actually, in some ways, be enhanced by the experience of surviving cancer. So some young people search to make meaning out of their experience, and that can look like anything from trying to really value relationships to we also see a lot of young people growing up and saying they want to become a doctor or a nurse because they want to make a difference in children's lives. Some of the experiences that are very common and should not be any cause for alarm, just pretty common for a child or adolescent survivor, feeling different and or isolated from their peers, having a sense of valuing time and relationships, identifying with adults, having some anxiety, maybe even some direct concern about their own health, having some sense of sadness, sometimes having a sense of anger is quite normal. But we also see other normal and common experiences to be having a sense of gratitude for life relationships, having a sense of joy and hopefulness, feeling extra close with their family and loved ones that help them through this experience, having a fear of losing people that they care about, having some expression of grief over their losses, both physical and emotional, and having an increased sense of spirituality or meaning in their life. I want to talk about some of the key points that may come up for young people after they've survived. The first is, right as young people transition off of active treatment, that is a time of great change. And so that can sometimes be a moment to have conversations about what it means to have gone through this experience. Roles change. The family roles change. They may be searching for identity with peers who have not had a cancer experience, kind of wanting to put it behind them. They may have to recover from this period of being isolated from their same-age peers and need some reintroduction, some opportunity to reengage in these normal activities. It can also become a period of some risk as some children want to reclaim that lost time and do so through risky health behaviors such as staying out late or driving fast or experimenting with alcohol. So recognizing that that could be a risky time for young people as they try to reclaim some of the adolescent stages that perhaps some of their peers went through. They face this very unique dilemma of being simultaneously both older than their peer group and younger than their peer group. In some ways, they're older because they have really faced a huge life crisis that has caused them to really think through who they are. And in other ways, they feel a little bit younger because they haven't had the opportunity to experiment with things like relationships, depending on their age, dating relationships. Um, Just all of the peer development that happens in context may have been opportunities they've missed. So also during this time period, um, it's not uncommon to see some emotional issues that come up. And this can continue for a while. Sadness, I talked about. Anxiety health-related concerns, is my cancer going to come back, and if so, what will it mean? Again, they may also feel kind of invincible, strong, resilient, newly focused, I know who I am and who I'm going to be, and they can use that as a motivation. They may have deeper relationships and a greater appreciation for their friends and their family members and the important things in life. The transition time right from active treatment moving into this survivorship time can also be a period of risk for parents. So I know there's a lot of parents on the phone call, and just to say that don't be surprised if you find yourself feeling a lot of anxiety about that change and that time period of, now what? We've had all these scans and all this attention, and now what? And that anxiety can last for a while. That's pretty normal, too, and something that can be talked about young survivors sometimes report a paradox in their identity how do i move from this idea of having my identity as a child with cancer to a survivor of cancer and which am i and Who am I? And if I make a new friend now, should I tell them that I had cancer? Do I wait to tell them? Can they tell when they meet me? Is that my information? All of those are the types of questions that young people report to me that they struggle with. How do I disclose this? Do I say, hi, my name is this and I had cancer? Or do I wait till I have a deeper relationship? Or maybe I don't want to tell anybody. Maybe it feels really private. There can be some practical issues also for young survivors. Some of them have to do with school issues. For example, if a young survivor has been out of school for some time, trying to reintegrate back into the schoolroom can be difficult, both for the peer issues, but also because the school administration may or may not understand that while the child looks healthy, they've had some concerns and some challenges that need to be honored. And they may need some support as they reintegrate back into the educational system. Similarly, with employment issues. Some of the practical issues also about things like making sure that the young person understood and understands what happened to their body so that they can take control of their own health management as they become adults, and managing that and understanding that even though they may want to move away from it, it's important to be able to say, I know what happened, and this is how I'm going to move forward with it. But what we also see, and I think I want to really offer to you, is this, I hear lots of young people telling me about how having had cancer changed them oftentimes for the better, that while they would likely give the experience back, they now know who's important, what's important, that being able to face something and get through something difficult changes who you are and how you approach the world. I've had young people say to me, I was on a difficult path. I wasn't making good choices. And now this caused me to stop and look at what I value, who I am. I think about what's important, what it means to stand by somebody, to be a good friend, what it means to value life, what it means to appreciate the little things in life, and how to have gratitude for others. So many young people report that they have found meaning and have found their lives being changed by having faced a life-changing illness. So surviving cancer can be a transformative life experience and one that deserves our respect, our support, sometimes even our awe. But each survivor will make their own individual meaning out of their experience with childhood cancer. What is important is to allow them to express their feelings without judgment, to help them to identify what are their successes, and to provide unconditional support and help when necessary. So these conclude my remarks for now, and I welcome the opportunity to discuss more in uh, question time. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you very much, Dr. Jones. That was a very compassionate and very compelling presentation, and lots of issues and, and concerns that um, you've raised, and, and wonderful tips. So I, I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. Um, our, our next speaker is Izumi Nakano. And Azumi is speaking on behalf of the Lymphoma Research Foundation. She is the patient services manager at the Lymphoma Research Foundation. And I'm now going to turn the program over to Azumi, who's going to say some words of welcome, as well as identify many of the free support services available from the Lymphoma Research Foundation. Azumi?
0: Thank you, Carolyn and Cancer Care, for the continued partnership. Thank you to our esteemed faculty, Drs. Hayes, Latin, and Jones, for taking the time to be with us today and for all that you do for LRF and people affected by lymphoma. I would also like to acknowledge uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention for supporting today's call. The Lymphoma Research Foundation is the nation's largest nonprofit organization devoted exclusively to funding innovative lymphoma research and providing people with lymphoma and healthcare professionals with up-to-date information about this type of cancer. LRF's mission is to eradicate lymphoma and serve those touched by this disease. LRF invests millions of dollars each year to combat lymphoma and assist those whose lives have been affected by a lymphoma diagnosis. The foundation remains dedicated to identifying a cure through an aggressively funded research program and to helping members of the lymphoma community by providing comprehensive, disease-specific programs and services. To date, LRF has funded over $45 million in lymphoma-specific research. Over 35,000 people are served each year by the LRF programs. LRF provides a comprehensive series of programs and services for people with lymphoma and their loved ones, which include our Lymphoma Helpline, where a professional public health and mental health staff assistant can assist you in your search for information about lymphoma and appropriate resources, a clinical trials information service, where a member of our helpline team can assist you in your search for clinical trials. We also have our Lymphoma Support Network, which is a national one-to-one peer support program that matches lymphoma patients or caregivers with volunteers who have had similar lymphoma-related experiences. In addition, we offer publications and newsletters, which include four comprehensive disease guides, one of which is a 70-page guide on childhood non-Hodgkin's lymphoma called Understanding Childhood Lymphomas. We also offer disease-specific fact sheets and informational e-newsletters. We have webcasts and podcasts that are available on specific types of lymphoma, treatment options, and support topics, And finally, we offer in-person patient conferences on the local, regional, and national level. For more information, please contact a member of our helpline team by calling 1-800-500-9976 or visit our website at www.lymphoma.org. Again, thank you so much. Carolyn?
1: Well, thank you very much, Azumi. Just a wonderful presentation. Also, I want to thank you, and I also want to thank the um, Research Foundation and Brian Tomlinson, who have played such a critically important role in making this program possible, um, both through support and funding, but also in helping us select the very best speakers. So thank you so much for all that you do, and um, just a wonderful resource for everyone on the call. I think as Azumi has identified all the resources um, from the Lymphoma Research Foundation. And our next speaker is Kathy Nugent. Kathy is an oncology social worker. She's Director of Social Service, Cancer Care of New Jersey. And Kathy is going to talk about the free psychosocial support services that you can access from Cancer Care. Kathy?
4: Thank you, Carolyn. And thank you to everyone for participating in today's Connect Education Workshop. I would like to speak briefly about the services that Cancer Care offers. When the child with cancer completes treatment and enters the world of survivorship, The family, as well as the child, is forever changed through the cancer experience. They now need to find new ways to manage their failings and the adjustments imposed on them by the cancer treatment. The unpredictability of the future, sense of safety, and control has been challenged. Children and teens who are now thrust into a world that has changed for them present special needs and concerns. Cancer care has programs to help the family cope with survivorship issues. The cancer care programs for kids are all part of the free professional services that cancer care provides, but focuses on the particular needs of children and parents. We offer practical support, education, and advice to parents and counseling to children and teens to help them understand cancer as well as survivorship issues associated with cancer. Families who live near one of the cancer care offices they also participate in one of our therapeutic recreational events to teach children and parents how to talk to each other about their cancer and survivorship. The cancer experience often leaves us feeling all alone. At Cancer Care, people can gain emotional support, insight, and reassurance by participating in free telephone and online support groups. Cancer Care offers these support groups to people with cancer, their families and friends, caregivers. And survivors all of our support programs are moderated by professional oncology social workers I would also like to mention that all of our connect education workshops are archived and are on our website as podcast if you have missed part one of this education workshop understanding childhood lymphoma it is now on our website you may also be interested in the following workshops that are podcast for parents Guardians and Professionals, Helping Brothers and Sisters of Children with Cancer, and another um, workshop was Helping Teachers and Educators Support Siblings of of Children with Cancer. You can also find free booklets and fact sheets on our website, which offer up-to-date and easy-to-read information about the latest treatments, managing side effects, coping with cancer, and survivorship issues. The cancer experience can be an economical burden to families also, and financial assistance is available from cancer care. We can help with the cost associated with uh, transportation to and from treatment, home care, child care, and reimbursement for pain medications. In addition, a cancer care social worker can point you to other resources in your community that may offer financial assistance. More information about all of the services at Cancer Care can be found on our website. The website is www.cancercare.org. Please remember to call our 1-800-HELPLINE at 1-800-813-HOPE. Our phones are answered by professional oncology social workers who are here to help you. In closing, I would just like to applaud all the parents and family members who are listening to our workshop today for their courage and perseverance and offer hope for the future. To quote Eric H. Erickson, hope is both the earliest and the most indispensable virtue inherent in the state of being alive. If life is to be sustained, hope must remain, even where confidence is wounded and trust-impaired. Cancer Care is here to offer you and your family help and hope. Thank you. Carolyn?
1: Well, thank you very much, Kathy, and just a, a beautiful presentation, and thank you for that quote at the end. And indeed, um, we hope that also these programs offer people information, but also hope in, in a sense of, um, of all kinds of things that can help to inspire people to, uh, to keep on and being persistent. And so with that being said, we now have time for questions. We actually have a lot of time for questions. And I'm going to ask all of our speakers to come on board if Mary would bring all of our speakers on board. Um, So we're all set to answer your questions. And I'm going to ask Mary to explain to you how to queue up for questions. And I just do want to say that if for some reason we don't get to your question, please either call the Lymphoma Research Foundation um, or cancer care at the end of the call, and I will actually give you those numbers again so you'll have them um, so you'll, you'll, you don't have to feel that if you had a question, or even if you think of a question tomorrow or another day, that indeed you just can go ahead and call either one of us, and we'll be happy to help you with your questions. So, Mary, could you explain to everybody how to queue up for questions? And we'll take as many as we can. Thank you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to move yourself from the queue, may press the pound key. Again, if you do have a question, please press star then one on your Touchtone telephone.
1: And Ashley, I do have a question from one of our online. Um participants around disclosure issues, and I'm wondering, uh, Dr. Jones, if you could say a bit more about disclosure, um, although you touched on that, certainly, but in terms of disclosure with friends and also with workplace issues, if you could say a bit about that.
3: Sure. Um, so when I was talking about the disclosure issues, this really comes directly from my conversations with young survivors. And a lot of times when I'm having this conversation with them, it's post-their-cancer A number of years. So, we're talking usually about adolescents and young adults who are dealing with the fact that cancer, they've now integrated that experience into who they are. It's a part of who they are. But to meet them, you might not know that they had had cancer, but it's so integral to their identity. And they meet someone new, whether it be a friend or a dating relationship, and they struggle with how do I tell this person this part of who I am? Now, it may also have some impact on very uh, important day-to-day health issues, so it's important to come up, certainly if this is going to be somebody who's important in their life. And some young people report that they want to say it right up front. That's who I am. I'm a cancer survivor. I want you to know that. Maybe I'm involved in cancer advocacy and it's a part of my identity in that way, so I want that out there. Other young people will say, This is an aspect of who I am. It's not a defining characteristic in terms of my work. And so I'm going to wait till I have a little more intimacy with someone to feel comfortable to say, you know, part of my life experience has been that I survived cancer when I was a child and I went through cancer treatment. And here's what that has meant for me. And I think that both paths are healthy. And we just sometimes it has to do with the experience, how old they were, what type of personality they are. But we want to help young people think through what, how do you want to handle this? It's not something we talk about at the end of treatment. We say, like, now, five years from now, when you make a new friend, you should think about whether or not you want to tell them you had cancer. It's just it's not at the top of the list. But it becomes something important, and they report that it, it is something they want some help, someone to talk with about, how do I handle this? What, what should? Let me think this through ahead of time so that I'm not surprised when I'm struggling with it. So hopefully that answers some issues around disclosure. Uh, In terms of employment issues, again, for the young adult um, who is employed, they do not need to disclose that they had cancer as a child, but um, recognizing that there may be some impact on them now, either on their life choices or on their functionality or on their um, what they desire to do and, in a career. That's a pretty common reaction. I meet lots of young people. I do a lot of research with young survivors, and I do a lot of qualitative research where I'm asking them to tell me about their experience. And I meet a lot of young people who are in med school when I'm interviewing them, uh, who are in nursing school, who decide they want to be a social worker. And when I ask them about it, they'll say, I was so helped, and it really made a difference. I decided early on that's what I want to do when I grow up, that I'm going to use this experience to help others. And that's really a common reaction and a really healthy adaptation.
1: A transformative experience. Exactly. Like mm-hmm. Excellent. Okay. Thank you. And we have some questions actually for Dr. Um, um There is a question just in terms of the whole um, the treatment summary and um, how um, – uh, uh, parents and also childhood survivors can work with their treating health care team to have that information available to them as they move about. They might be moving from one part of the country to the other. Could you address that question?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, again, I, I think it's it's uh, really fundamental that all cancer survivors um, have access to and, and frankly, carry around Uh, Their uh, diagnosis and treatment summary. Um, And I think we will see over the coming uh, years uh, that this will be both increasingly common for cancer providers to be uh, uh, giving out at the end of active therapy, uh, but ultimately will become part of the expectation and even requirement for uh, oncology teams to provide. Um, I think uh, uh, I would Certainly encourage um, cancer survivors and, and parents of cancer survivors um, to be advocates for themselves to ask for these summaries. Um, and you know, frankly, they're not; they don't need to be that uh, complicated. Uh, understanding. Uh, uh, so, for instance, in lymphoma, was this Hodgkin's disease? Was this non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? Uh, within non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, was it uh, a particular subtype, like diffuse large B-cell or follicular? Um, So having those details available. And then same thing with the treatment summary. Oftentimes just uh, sort of the alphabet soup of what a chemotherapy regimen is is at least a good start uh, to be able to uh, both give that information to future medical providers and to use these tools to look up long-term effects. So knowing, uh, you know, was chemotherapy A, B, V, D um, is helpful in and of itself but then knowing you know, what what each of those letters stood for. Oh, I got bleomycin. Oh, I got dexamethasone. Um, those sorts of things are, are going to be increasingly helpful.
1: Excellent. And another question that came in is in terms of the vac- vaccines, vaccinations, that people should consider getting. Um, could you comment on that?
2: Yeah. So there are some general recommendations, uh, and then there are some rec- recommendations that are specific to the particular exposures like radiation or or even surgery that a patient had, um, so for instance, uh, most cancer survivors, um, uh, particularly lymphoma cancer survivors, um, would have an indication for an annual influenza vaccine um, but in certain circumstances, uh, there are uh, needs to repeat childhood vaccinations, so uh, you know an example of that might be after a bone marrow transplant. Um, There are standard recommendations to actually repeat some of the routine childhood vaccinations that that, uh, may have already occurred. Um, There are also specific recommendations around uh, avoiding some vaccines, uh, particularly uh, vaccines that are uh, derived from live viruses. Um, So if patients have had uh, very immune suppressive therapy, like a bone marrow transplant, in addition to vaccines that are recommended, there are actually some vaccines to avoid. Uh, so again, like a lot of the survivorship thing, uh, um, you know materials, it's, it it tends to be very specific to the therapy that an individual receives.
1: So uh, probably those are good questions to then go back to the healthcare team with um, as um, as seems appropriate or
2: certainly. So uh, you know the. the Probably the best source of this is to go back to the to the medical providers um, who have direct access to the treatment details and uh, can give that information. But again, the resources of the Children's Oncology Group uh, through survivorshipguidelines.org um, uh, does empower survivors and their, their caregivers to look up specific therapies that a patient received and get some of the details, uh, whether it be vaccinations or, or other follow-up.
1: And because we have such a mobile society where people are always moving around, someone asked the question here. We have another participant who's asking about what about international travel um, and uh, what happens in terms of just um, routine vaccinations as well for that.
2: Um, so that would be something I would certainly defer to uh, the individual's medical providers. Um, uh, Beyond sort of these routine recommendations, once you get into uh, balancing that with travel recommendations, that, again, that kind of information for the general population is available from sources like the Center for Disease Control, but being able to interpret what the CDC recommendations are for travel and balancing that with the, you know, sort of immune status of a lymphoma survivor uh, uh, really should be balanced by a medical provider.
1: Thank you very much. And for uh, actually Dr. Jones, another question that came in actually from one of our participants online is the whole issue of the parents um, in terms of uh, how, um, you know, they, they have uh, sort of, uh, they often have a, a lot of needs or, or just a lot of perhaps stresses um, of having uh, coped with this. And I wonder if you have any comments about sort of long-term effects for parents as well.
3: Oh, thank you for asking. I think that's a really important topic. And, you know, as parents, we tend to focus very much on what our children need and specifically when they're facing such a diagnosis as cancer. but. We do know that um, for parent caregivers, and that's redundant, all parents are caregivers, but when they're also doing caregiving around cancer, um, that there can be some really significant stressors that occur to parents. So there can be impacts upon parental health. There could be impacts upon parental relationships, you know, primary um, spousal or partner relationships. Um, There can be impacts upon the family system. These are all really common if you think about the energy and effort it takes to get through a cancer diagnosis. It's not surprising that um, the individuals in the family system would also have some potentially negative outcomes and stressors. In fact, we do know that the group that's at some of the highest risk for anxiety after cancer our parents, because it makes sense. They held a lot of the anxiety for the family as they got their child through this treatment. But the other um, kind of good news is that families do rebuild. Families are resilient. And it's important to honor taking care of yourself and your relationship and your children and your health. Um, And that's really healthy and something your children want you to do. So I think that's important for us to pay attention to the health of parents. The other thing that some of the recent research is showing is that actually participating in the caregiving while your child was going through cancer has the potential to enhance your well-being over the long haul, that being able to help makes a difference and can form stronger bonds, more uh, attached connection between the parent and the child that lasts a lifetime. So there's there's some area for concern and for attention, but there's also lots of areas for hope and opportunities for resilience and growth for parents as well.
1: Excellent. And another follow-up question to that one was the issue for siblings in terms of well, what about siblings of, of uh, childhood um, lymphoma survivors? And did you want to comment, comment on that, Dr. Jones? And how long do we have? <laughs> um, <laughs> that would be another program. Exactly. exactly.
3: And I hope it is because um, those of you that um, have more than one child know that um, the impact on siblings is pretty significant. Actually, it's quite understandable that when we're focused on childhood cancer, that the focus goes to the patient. It It does. It has to. It's the only way to get through it and the only way to survive that is normal and normative and common. And yet, we also know that siblings report feeling a little left out, a little concerned, frightened, and they too need to be reintegrated into a sense of normalcy in the family after the cancer. They need to be asked, what has this been like for you? What did you lose? What did you gain? What did you see? What's important for you? And recognizing that the family had to shift its priorities for a period of time, but that's not a reflection of love or of concern, because we do know that without the opportunity to have that kind of reflection and support, that um, siblings do struggle. So they need to be reengaged. We need to turn to them and say, what was this like for you, and what can, how can I help you, and bring them back into the fold um, so that they get the support that they need to, over the long haul. And there are some amazing programs out there, many of which I'm sure you know. One jumps to mind is Super Sibs, designed specifically to help siblings when their um, brother or sister has cancer, and that's a great resource both during cancer and after cancer.
1: Thank you, and that is an excellent resource. It's in your materials, everyone. But Super Sibs was really developed um, really for uh, 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 paying attention to siblings and their needs, and so please be aware of that. It's a wonderful resource um, for for all of you to to access. Well, as we are about to conclude the program, I want to ask all of our speakers to address the concept of resilience because I think that's come up. Many of you have touched upon that, and. Um, I, I'm going to ask Kathy to start with that, and then I'm going to ask everyone if they'd like to just comment on the concept of resilience.
4: Oh, it's it's it really is an important piece to all of this, and I really um, stress, as I mentioned in in my piece, that um, I think we we empower our families, we encourage them, we give them hope, and it's so important that um, we are there for them along the way. And um, I would again just remind everybody that cancer care, as well as the other organizations that have been mentioned. Um, Um, Our families and our children have been through an incredible journey, and it continues. And I think we, along the way, need to reinforce that um, there is hope, um, and um, we don't give up hope. We just continue to empower and um, find all aspects of positive life for our families and and the the children and and, um, families in general.
1: Thank you. And, uh, Dr. John, do you want to add
3: Sure. Um, There's, again, actually some research that talks about how families, after facing a life-threatening or life-changing illness, many of them come through more resilient, again, Most would say, I will give back the experience. I didn't want to go through this experience. It isn't what I chose, but I recognize now that I am closer with my children. I talk better to my spouse. I know what's important. I don't care about what kind of car I drive. I care about you know, do we spend time together as a family. I get what's important in life, and that permeates throughout all kinds of life decisions. And so we see lots of families after cancer and after survival find that their relationships are enhanced, their sense of self is enhanced, their sense of competence is enhanced, their ability to negotiate through what's critical in life is really increased. And so that is a sign to me of family resilience and thriving and post-surviving.
1: Dr. Hayes-Lattin. Well,
2: I certainly want to echo everything uh, that's been said about resilience. I think specifically to the medical effects that I discussed um Uh, While it is true that um, chronic medical conditions can be common after cancer survivorship, uh, there is also a research base that shows that even patients who have uh, a number or a significance of chronic medical conditions still rank their overall health as good to to excellent, um, that even in the face of ongoing medical needs, uh, we see that the population of lymphoma survivors uh, uh, can be quite resilient.
1: Excellent. And Azumi, did you want to add?
0: Well, I think I just wanted to reiterate what everyone else said and and just all the people that we speak to um, that call our foundation and just how um, they, you know, are information seekers and in wanting to empower themselves and their family by learning more about the diagnosis and aftercare, um, you know, really showing a great amount of strength. Um, for their family is, is
1: just amazing. Well, I want to thank all of you. I want to thank our speakers who have really been really outstanding, a uh, really winning team. We really want to invite them back for another another program, just outstanding um, presenters and speakers and very compassionate as well. I want to thank all of you who actually have sent us online questions that our speakers are able to address and be able to elaborate further on different points in the call. And I want to thank all of you who have been listening as well. And I want to remind you all that this is a one-hour education workshop, and that in planning a program like this, we do recognize that you all have needs that go far beyond the scope of one hour, and so um, I want to remind all of you that there are resources to you um, that you can contact um, if you have a question or concern. Most importantly, as we conclude the program, I don't want anyone to feel that you're alone in coping with these issues that were brought up the today's call or coping with lymphoma or cancer. I want you to feel that you're part of a community of support. And I want to again repeat the number for the Lymphoma Research Foundation, 1-800-500-9976, and for Cancer Care, 1-800-813-HOPE. And I want you to now know that you really have access to a lot of free services, and please do take advantage of those services. Um, many people sometimes think that, oh, I have to deal with this all by myself, but we really really want to give you the message that we're all here to help you, and um, we we know that it makes a difference sometimes reaching out for this help, and we're all here for you. So give us a call. We're here for you. And I want to thank you all for participating, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This includes a workshop. You may disconnect, and have a wonderful day.